0: conviction of the first century disciples led them to be a people who speak. As you know, in February and March, we're looking at the topic, the first 1st uh, century conviction for a 2020 church. As we consider our 2020 vision and this year ahead of us, this year that God has called us to be his people and to grow in our love and relationship with him, and to grow in our love and unity with each other, and to grow numerically as we reach out to a community and a world that needs Jesus so desperately. And we look in the book of Acts, and we see the church growing, and we see the church Prospering even in the midst of persecution, and we ask ourselves how how did they do that? how is that possible and is, is that possible for us today and I think it is possible if we have the same conviction that they had the conviction of the first century disciples led them to be a people who speak. We began this series speaking about the early church and how they were a people of prayer and how as important as all the chapters that follow are in the book of Acts, including chapter 2, we can't get to any of those until we get to chapter 1. And chapter 1 saw the church praying. We spoke about the church being a people who serve last week. And one thing the community needs to see in us as much as anything else is that we serve. We serve one another, and we serve others. We serve others in the community because that's what the first century community noticed about the first century church, is that they served. Next week we'll speak about the church being persecuted. And, and those two things do not work against each other, although they can. But when you read the book of Acts, you're struck by the fact that This church grew, and yet this church was persecuted, so much so that they met in secret, and yet the word got out. And other topics that will come, but today we are a people who speak. We are a people who speak, and a people who speak boldly. But what exactly does that look like? And when you read in the In the book of Acts, and you look at that first century church, you see that they spoke out of great conviction. But it was not just a conviction about the Lord that they loved, it was a conviction about the love that they had for others as well. I invite you to come this evening to our very important prayer service, because we'll spend some time in a special prayer and song devotional about our 2020 vision. And our shepherds will be involved and others will be involved in leading us and and it will be a time where we can have special devoted prayer for each of those aspects that I named earlier because we believe that if we're going to accomplish this 2020 vision that God has laid on our hearts, it's only going to be possible through his power, it's only going to be possible if we pray. And our friends and our family and our community and our world need that to be possible. Because they need to hear this message. And if they are going to hear the message, we are going to have to speak the message. Just as that first century church did. With great conviction about what we believe, but also with a great love and compassion, and respect for the people to whom we speak. And so what is it about this first century church? What is it about us and and how we should speak boldly? How we must be a people who speak? So let's go back to that church of the first century and consider a couple of things about How they spoke and and how they spoke boldly, and what was behind it. First of all, they were bold in what they proclaimed the gospel and the response of faith. They were bold in what they proclaimed, the message they shared, the word they spoke was something that was of great significance. But it also came with a great risk, and it came at great cost. And as we'll see, especially next week, many of them paid a great price for speaking the message they spoke. They were bold in what they proclaimed, the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that message, that gospel was... uh, testified to by people who actually saw those things happen and we have their written testimony about that. The death, burial and resurrection of Christ is what they shared and they were bold in what they proclaimed as they proclaimed that gospel but they were bold also in proclaiming the response of faith because yes it is the gospel that saves but but it Sharing that message and speaking that gospel caused the hearers to ask another question, which was, okay, so so what do we do about this? You've convicted us as we prayed earlier of our sin. And now you've shared with us about this amazing gift of God's grace. Giving his one and only son and how he raised him from the dead and, and, and how he lives forever And so what what does that mean for me? How how do I respond to that message? How do I respond to that gospel? And they were bold in what they proclaimed as they answered that question. As they shared not only the gospel, but they also shared the response of faith. And we see that beginning in Acts chapter 2. Jesus talked about this happening with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and in Mark 16, and in Luke 24. As he told them to wait until you've been given power from on high, until the Holy Spirit that I promised, that advocate, that comforter that will be my presence with you, until he comes, stay in the city, wait, pray. In Acts chapter 2 is when we see the fulfillment of what Jesus spoke about. And so on that day of Pentecost, just 50 days after Jesus had been killed and had been raised from the dead, we see the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit in an extraordinary way, so much so that they began speaking miraculously in other languages. Languages of all of the Jews that were there for the festivals, many had come from all over the known world to participate in the Passover less than two months before and stayed around to participate in this next great feast, the Feast of Pentecost. And they were amazed because as they saw these men and heard their words, they heard them in their own native languages and they knew that's impossible, that is impossible and yet it was happening right before them, and they they couldn't understand what was going on. Some accused them of hitting the bottle a little too early. <laughs> and Peter, with the others, stands up, and Luke records Peter's words as he says, No, that's not it at all. <laughs> what you're seeing happen before your eyes is the fulfillment of prophecy. And he takes his Jewish brothers and sisters back to Joel chapter 2. And he says, This is what that prophet said would happen. That one day God would give his power to his people. And that he would bring about salvation. And forgiveness of sins. And so Peter goes on and he establishes how that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he quotes from the Psalms and he quotes from David and he he reminds them that David said this would happen. And that one day David would see this going on and and as he did he he shared in the psalms the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand and and that's impossible and jesus had brought up this very passage in his own ministry how could david see his descendant as being greater than he and yet he was and so peter talks to him to them about How they had crucified this one their, their, their ancestors had been looking for for all these years. And they had put him on the cross and yet God had raised him from the dead. And now he is the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, verse 36 of Acts 2, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. These people had just heard and and recognized that their sinfulness and their selfishness had crucified the Messiah, and that God had raised him, and now he was Lord of Lords. and, And so they asked, What do we do? What do we do? And I'm pretty sure that if Peter's response had been repent and run around this city seven times, they would have done it. If his answer would have been go to the Mediterranean Sea and be baptized seven times in the Mediterranean, they would have done it. But that's not what he said. That's not the response of faith. They were strong believers, they were cut to the heart. And it was time to repent. It was time to change. That's that word. To take a, let their life take a big turn towards God rather than self. Towards righteousness rather than sin. Repent, he said, but he said also be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus had told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again of water and spirit. And throughout the New Testament, including throughout the book of Acts, we see this consistent message. The response of faith includes being baptized in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't have any saving effect without the blood of Jesus. But with the blood of Jesus, there is an answer to their question. What do we do? And the answer to that question is repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promised indwelling of the continued presence of Christ. And it's the same answer today. They were bold in what they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were bold in what they proclaimed the response of faith. And their boldness was rewarded with hearts that were turned and were ready to say yes to that message. And so verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day and the church was off and running running with this message, running with this gospel. They were bold in what they proclaimed, the gospel and the response of faith. And the people in that community began to see it in them every single day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is what they devoted themselves to. This is what the community saw. In them, a devotion to the teaching, first of all. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free, in John 8. In John 14, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and I can tell you today, that message is no more popular today than it was in the first century Believe me, their community and their hearers, some of them didn't like that message any more than some of ours do. But it is the truth. And they were bold in proclaiming that truth. And so they devoted themselves to the study and to the teaching of this new doctrine that the apostles had brought in the name of Jesus Christ. And they devoted themselves to fellowship to participating with one another, to assembling together, to serving each other and to serving together in their community, to the worship together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And later that term will be used to talk about the kind of meals they share like we will share on Wednesday night. But they, this passage is speaking one of a different sort of breaking of the bread. In the context, it's clear that they were doing exactly what we just did. Remembering the death, burial, and resurrection, and the call that Jesus made for us to serve others in the same way by breaking bread to remember his broken body, and by sharing the fruit of the vine to remember his shed blood. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They valued prayer because Jesus valued prayer. And they prayed. Everyone was filled with awe, verse 43, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we read through the rest of the book of Acts, and as we'll see in just a moment... That wasn't always the case. They didn't always enjoy the favor of all the people. They couldn't keep meeting in the grounds of the temple. They had to meet in other places. But the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because they were bold in what they proclaimed. The gospel, the response of faith. They were a people who spoke. We are to be a people who speak. You look at the rest of the book of Acts and you see that same conviction. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is one of those seven chosen along with Philip and the others. Full of the Spirit, he speaks God's word to a crowd that not long before had crucified Jesus. And he tells them much the, exactly the same thing that Peter shared in Acts chapter 2. And he is killed for it. He is killed for it becomes the first recorded christian martyr in chapter 8 another one of those men philip is one of those who flees from jerusalem everyone but the apostles had to run for their lives because of this message that they were not afraid to speak philip was one of those and he goes to the neighboring region of samaria and he he speaks the message and he speaks about the response and we read of the Samaritans and their response to the gospel in Acts 8. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, the biggest enemy of the church, of Jesus Christ, is confronted by the one he was trying to destroy. And not only becomes a great missionary and a great apostle and a writer of much of the New Testament, he also becomes public enemy number one to the Jewish leadership. And we read of his conversion in Acts 9 as Luke records it. And then Paul himself speaks autobiographically and tells his own story as he defends himself in Acts 22 and 26. In Acts 10, the first convert of the Gentiles is recorded, Cornelius, in, a, in an extraordinary way, much like Acts chapter 2. And Peter is called to go to him and baptizes Cornelius and his whole family. In chapter 13, the mission journeys begin with Paul and Barnabas. Striking out to share this message boldly. Beginning in the synagogues of the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 17 and other chapters, we read of Paul and now Silas and Timothy sharing this message. Speaking this message boldly. Whether it was in Thessalonica where they got run out of town. Or in Berea where the Thessalonians came to the neighboring town and ran them out of that town too. Or in Athens where he stood amidst amongst a a place where there was idol after idol after idol of pagan gods. And he finds one that says to an unknown God, and he points to that altar, and he says, that's the one I want to talk to you about today, the one that you don't know anything about, the one that is the true and living God, because it is in him that we move and have our very being. He is the creator, and he is the savior. They were bold in what they proclaimed the gospel and the response of faith and I think this one verse, Acts chapter 26 verse 20, is a great summary of what they said in his defense before King Agrippa Paul says, "I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds." That was their message. Let it never be said that they had a soft message that just said John 3:16 and that was it. That God loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son that if you'll just trust in Him and believe in Him that you'll live forever. And that verse is true. But trusting in Him and believing in Him means much, much more than a simple mental assent to the truthfulness of His being and His sacrifice. It calls on us to change. It calls on us to repent. It calls on us every day, every moment to turn to God and to make that repentance real by having it affect and change our very lives. How we live, what we live for. And a part of that is being a people who speak, who share. The message they were bold in what they proclaimed the gospel and the response of faith but secondly they were bold in demonstrating courage and compassion both not one without the other if there's courage and no compassion then it is not the love of christ that you share. And if it is compassion without courage, then it's not the gospel of Christ that you share. Christ for the world we sing. The world to Christ we bring. That's our goal. That's our desire. And so you look through all of those stories that I mentioned earlier from the book of Acts, and you see that. You see the courage, and you see the compassion. That great boldness and bravery and being willing to share a message that may or may not be acceptable but that was also shared out of a deep sense of compassion not just for the lord who died for them but for the people that he died for as well that were hearing their message jesus himself said in mark 12 and other passages that we are called to love god but also to love our neighbor as ourselves Our shepherd, David Wick, shared earlier from Ephesians 4.15, praying that we might speak the truth in love. Not just the truth, not just love, but to speak the truth in love. And also from 1 Peter 3, that we should be ready when someone asks about the hope that we live by and live for and that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 is... as. Paul writes to the Corinthians in those first three chapters, he shares over and over and over again that he spoke to them with courage and compassion, that it was the cross of Christ that he preached, that some counted foolishness, others counted crazy, others seemed that it was sacrilege. But Paul said it is the power of God, it is the wisdom of God, and it's all I had, he tells them, it's all I had. We are called to be a people who speak. And sometimes we have called that evangelism. There, I said it out loud, the E word. (laughs) And it doesn't need to scare us unless we don't define it biblically. And I think for many of us we have not defined it biblically and that's why it scares us. Because evangelism is more than Bible studies and baptisms. It is that. But if that's all that we think of when we speak of the term evangelism, that is not biblical. That is far from biblical. Yes, at some time there needs to be a Bible study. Yes, at some time we hope and pray that there will be baptisms. But evangelism starts long before those steps long before those steps you will never get there with most people if that's where you start some people are ready at that point for that most aren't especially in our society and culture today biblical evangelism starts long before that Terry Rush a great evangelistic preacher from the Tulsa area says this evangelism is a process it is a process And it begins far before the first Bible study. Evangelism begins with the influence and impact we have on somebody by just acting out Christ in front of them without ever saying his name. Without ever inviting them to anything. Without ever expecting anything of them. We just share the love of Christ in a way that they can see, in a way that they understand. And that may be helping them out when they're in need. That may be providing assistance when they're troubled. It may be being a friend to them when no one else will. It means being intentional about trying to help and trying to serve in the name of Jesus before we ever speak that name out loud. Evangelism is a process. And we are called to win souls, not just arguments. I think this is another place where we failed. At times, we've been so focused on saying the right thing to win the argument, to get our point across, that we have lost the soul in the process. You perhaps heard me share some of the story by Sean McDowell, a great minister to young people and to young adults, about Christian evidences, and and he speaks about. Going on a, a, a going out of town with a friend, and and they went by a, 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 a barber shop, a stylist to to get their hair uh, cut while they were there. And he was reading a, a Christian book, and and finally the the stylist called his name, and he sat down, and and she said, "Well, look, I noticed you're reading a, a Christian book. i I'd like to ask you a question." And Sean says that he thought, "Oh, here we go." And so she asked, and she, he said, of course. And so she asked, and she said, how, how is it that God can be so good and so powerful, and yet I see so much suffering in the world? And he thought to himself, well, is that all you got? I answer that question a 100 times a, a month. And so he just went down the line of all the arguments to answer that question. And when he was finished, she said, you've got an answer for everything. It can't be that easy. You just don't understand. And that was the end of the discussion. Oh, he had made his point. He had answered that specific question, and he had lost the soul. And so when he and his friend left the place, he asked his friend, What happened in there? (laughs) And his friend began with this statement Do you know how arrogant you sounded? And it was a great moment for him to realize, you know, I don't always have to make my point. Sometimes, all the time, it needs to first be about that other person. And so he said, from now on, I've responded to that question differently. And he said, so now, instead of answering the question directly, I ask them this question. Of all the questions you could ask of God, why ask that one? gets below the line and it gets to the heart behind the question. It gets to the soul. Evangelism is a process. When souls, not just arguments. And then this great quote from Stephen Covey you heard me share before. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. We haven't always been good at this one. Doug Pollock in an article in January of this year writes this, In a society full of people who would rather speak than listen, people are starving for someone who is willing to offer them their ears. Often the simple practice of seeking to understand before we seek to be understood allows us to find common ground with others. The secret of being interested in a conversation is to be interested in what others are passionate about. Genuinely, truly interested in what's going on with them, not just what we have to say. Not listening as we're rolling over in our mind what we're going to, how we're going to respond, but truly listening. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. In other words, listen. <laughs> listen. Before you speak, truly, genuinely listen. Again, quoting from that article, as Doug Pollock was interacting with a young man in his 20s, and they had found themselves sharing a rental car. And so Doug told him, I'm on my way to speak at one of the largest churches in Colorado. If I gave you 30 minutes to tell these Christians what not to do, to have a spiritual conversation with you, what would you tell them? <laughs> and so he asked this 20-something young man that he doesn't know, what, what would I do to keep you from considering A relationship with God. Without any hesitation, the young man said this, I'd tell them if you're not willing to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. Every conversation I've ever had with Christians has been one-sided. They always want to do all the talking and expect me to do all the listening. I reflected back to him in my own words what I thought I'd heard him say. It sounds like your conversations with Christians have left you feeling disrespected and angry because it's been more of a monologue than a dialogue. Am I hearing you correctly? The young man replied, absolutely. And it ticks me off because it's quite obvious all they're concerned with is getting their point across. It comes across as very arrogant and rude. You know what most Christians don't get, he said? The whole time they're talking, I have already made up my mind. I don't want their Jesus because I don't want to become rude and disrespectful like they are. Ouch. We've heard it said other ways. People don't care how much you know until what? They know how much you care. We can have all the right answers. We can have all the right doctrine. We can say all the right things. We can win the argument. and watch the soul walk away without Jesus. So let's listen, and let's ask questions, as Sean McDowell did. Let's ask them, give them the opportunity to share what's really in their heart. And then, yes, as Milton Jones, a great Northwest U.S. evangelist, has said, put in a good word for Jesus. Yes, ultimately, there needs to be that moment where we speak the name of Jesus... But we don't start there. We must be a people who speak, but speak first with our lives and with our hearts that show concern and care for them. It helps us to demonstrate to them that we have ups and downs in our lives as Christians just like they do. As we've shared during our shepherd's prayer that David led us in, we have people who have suffered the loss of loved ones. We have people who are suffering with great, horrible diseases. We have people who have loved ones who face surgeries. We have births, we have sickness, we have death, we have struggles, we have problems, just like everybody else does. What's the difference, they might ask? And that's when we say, the difference is Jesus. Oh, he hasn't taken any of those things away from me, but he's given me all the power that I need and the hope that I need to face them. And I want to see him do that for you too. And I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. Put in a good word for Jesus. Well, how can we do this? A few quick things. Number one, speak. Speak through your example and your life. Speak through your life first. Speak through your example first. And then when the opportunity comes, listen to what's going on in their lives and then watch for God to act on that. Speak through your example in life. Secondly, speak to God Pray for opportunities and open doors and then be watching for them because he just might answer that prayer with a yes. I believe he will. And third, speak to others. Yes, sometime you will be called upon to be a person who speaks. Speak to others. Invite somebody. Share your love. Share your faith. Share your story. You can invite them to church. You can say, "We've got this crazy preacher, and he says the weirdest things. And he quotes songs, and he he has things that he says that apparently he thinks are funny that no one else does." And it's you'll, I'd love for you to come with me sometime. He'll share the word of God with you. Or I've got this great Bible class. Or I, we've got this big event coming up. Or I'd love to have you come over to my house sometime and. I'll introduce you to one or two other couples. Speak through your example in your life. Speak to God. Pray for opportunities and open doors. And speak to others. Invite somebody. We must be a people who act. We must be a people who act. There's a reason why it's called the book of Acts. (laughs) Because they did stuff. They did stuff in the name of Jesus Christ. And one of the things they did was they spoke. We must be a people who act. We must be a people who speak. Who speak with that same first century conviction and compassion and courage, but who speak it in a 2020 community and in a 2020 world this morning if we can help you do that come as we stand and sing our song to you